You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. These two witnesses are like the lampstand, the menorah, and it's sort of like these olive trees are planted on both sides of the menorah, and they have this never-ending capacity to fill these instruments through which God is going to work. They're going to be empowered supernaturally by the uh, Holy Spirit. And so they uh, they will be illuminated, they will be empowered for their work, by God's Holy Spirit. The book of Revelation is full of fascinating and sometimes confusing imagery and symbolism. It can be overwhelming to wrap your mind around. It's important to realize you don't have to understand all of it. Much of it will only make sense when it's happening, and not even until after it happens. But through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Pastor Mike will lead us through a study seeking to gain a better understanding of the two witnesses described in today's message. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 11 as he continues his message, God's Two Witnesses. I remember what you said, you God, even as he stepped in during the time of the Holocaust, right, steps in once again, and he leads his people Israel to this rock city of Petra that's referred to in the book of Isaiah in chapter 16 in verses 4 and 5. Would you turn with me there to that cross-reference? In Isaiah, in chapter 16, in verses 4 and 5. And I'll wait for you for a moment. Isaiah chapter 16. Verses 4 and 5, and this is a prophecy concerning God stepping in, preserving his people in this rock city of Petra. And by the way, I would encourage you guys sometime during the week, Google the rock city of Petra. It's, a, it's really a, an, another amazing architectural masterpiece. They actually carved this city out of a rock, out of rock walls, rock mountains. It's an amazing feat, really, architectural uh, feat. It's a masterpiece. And there's a lot uh, on the internet that you can read about it. Really, it's, it's just amazing. Well, anyway, God is going to lead his people into, into that rock city of fortune. And you know what? There's only one way in. There's no, you can't go out the back way. There's only one way into this, uh, this fortress. And so anyway, God's people would see the Antichrist and his regime coming towards them. But nevertheless, God is going to intervene on, on their behalf and, and stop them, even as he, you know, stopped uh, the Egyptians from, from uh, you know, 
uh, yeah, you know, catching uh, uh, the Jews after they made the exodus out of, uh, out of uh, Egypt. But anyway, this is referred to, this event, in Isaiah chapter 16 and verses 4 and 5. Now, this is God speaking. He says, let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. And by the way, Petra is located 115 miles southwest of Amman, Jordan. And so the reference to Moab here, it's a reference to uh, Petra. Be a shelter to them, Israel, from the face of the spoiler, the Antichrist, for the extortioner is at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. And then the glorious announcement, in mercy the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. So this is a prophetical announcement. Guess who? Jesus, right? So all of this is taking place during the seven years of, of tribulation. So anyway, that's what's going to be happening. And uh, during those, that latter uh, three and a half uh, years of the seven years of tribulation. And so this will be uh, taking place during this particular period of time, which will come to a close with the personal return of Jesus Christ to the earth, as this was suggested there in Isaiah, subduing all evil, and then finally establishing his reign upon the earth. Now, I want to give you a cross-reference for this. Zechariah, chapter 14, and verses 3 and 4. And I think that this one will be broadcast up here on the screen. Zechariah, there it is right there. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. What nations? The Gentile nations, right? Who have come against Israel. You see? And he fights in the city, in the day of battle, verse 4. And in that day, when he comes back the second time, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. You know, you got to read chapter 14 in its entirety. We're not going to have time to do that this morning. But sometime during the week, it's a homework assignment. Can I give you a homework assignment? Okay? Read chapter 14 because it's amazing. And uh, we're only going to cover part of it. You know, the mountain, when his feet come down upon the Mount of Olives, it actually splits in two. And, the, and it, it creates this valley, as you see, as you continue to read. And this river run, begins to run through it, and it's described as the river of living waters which, of course, is that reference to, remember, Jesus with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, you know, concerning him, the only one who was able to give of those living waters, and if a man or a woman should drink thereof, they'll never thirst again. So it's very picturesque. You've got to read the whole chapter. It's very cool. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So when he comes back, that's where he's going to touch down, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, and the half towards the south. So those nations that Jesus is fighting against is a reference to those Gentile nations who have come against God's people, Israel. And so the armies of the Antichrist shall be destroyed. Okay, so that's our first point this morning. But don't fret, we only have two points in this morning's message. So that brings us to our second and our last point, and that is two exceptional servants. Let's go back to our text and read verses 3 through 6. 
and I will give power to my two witnesses. Remember the title of this morning's message, God's Two Witnesses. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days or three and a half years, the last three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation, and they will be clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this matter. They have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they uh, desire. Okay, so who are these guys? Well, let's get to it. But first of all, I want you to notice concerning these two witnesses, they are literally two persons, actual living beings. Notice the references to they speak, they're preaching the gospel, they're heard by the people that they're speaking to, they're handled, they're hated, and after their martyrdom, as you will see, they're actually killed by the Antichrist regime. John describes their dead bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem for us there in verse 8. But anyway, the point is, is that they are real, live persons. Okay, so I wanted to get that out of the way. Now let's consider some of their special uh, features. First of all, I want you to notice that they are called or referred to as witnesses. Now when we use that word witness, it refers to a person, notice there in verse 3, it refers to a person who testifies to what they have seen, what they have heard, or what they have known. So, uh, but also, not only are they referred to or called witnesses, but they are also called prophets. Notice in verses 3, 6, and 10. Notice the references to them prophesying. Now, what is a, what is a prophet? Or what is a witness? Where they, well, they are foretellers of, of events that uh, will take place. In this case, they are foretellers of Christ and his ministry. Uh, they are foretellers of Christ's offer of salvation. So basically, that's what they're going to be doing during this three-and-a-half-year period of time. They're, they're going to be preaching the same gospel that I'm preaching to you uh, this morning. They're just going to be out there in the streets and, and you know, just sharing with every, every person that they come into contact with concerning the good news of Jesus Christ. And notice these witnesses wear sackcloth, we're told. Now, this is significant. And as you know, we've talked about this in previous studies as well, uh, sackcloth is a garment that was worn in the Eastern culture when one was expressing mourning or declaring a need for repentance. So this was just another way by which their message was uh, declared or expressed. So obviously, their message that they were proclaiming included the need for the people who were hearing that message to repent of their sin. So that was the reason for uh, their wearing the sackcloth. But then also notice in verse 4, they're called the two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. 
Okay, what in the world is this all about? Well, I would uh, encourage you, or rather I would appeal to the book of Zechariah in chapter 4, and sometime during the week I'd encourage you to go there and, and check it out for yourself. But this is a picture, them being portrayed as the two olive trees and two candlesticks is a picture that's actually taken from the book of Zechariah in chapter 4 where two olive trees represent two persons. Who were those two persons in Zechariah? The high priest, Joshua, and the governor at that time, who was Zerubbabel. Remember, we've been studying this in our Nehemiah series on Thursday evenings. These were men who were the media whereby the word of God was communicated to the people. Now, these two witnesses. So what's what's the connection between... Zerubbabel here, and, uh, and Joshua, and these two uh, witnesses. Well, these two witnesses are presented as this lampstand. And remember, uh, throughout the Old and the New Testament, remember in chapter 1, uh, when John receives the revelation, remember the trumpet, and he turns, and he sees Jesus standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And remember, we've already uh, established the fact that the menorah, or the seven golden candlesticks in the Old Testament dispensation represented the nation of Israel. In the New Testament dispensation, it represented the church, right? But either way, it is uh, the conduit through which God was going to work. In the Old Testament, he was going to work through the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, he was going to work through the, the church, even as he does uh, today. So there's the, that's the connection between these uh, two different uh, parties, Joshua, Zerubbabel, and these two uh, witnesses. So let me say it again. These two witnesses are presented as this lampstand, okay, the conduit, the vehicle through which God was going to work. And then notice the olive trees. Now, these olive trees produce what? Oil. Oh, yes, I know olives. But we make oil, okay, from olives, right? I, listen, I, you know, I'm Italian. I have like a huge bottle of olive oil sitting on my kitchen table, and we use it for just about everything, right? But the oil, as you know, right, and uh, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, both in the Old and New Testament alike. So, so what, what's the connection here? Well, these two witnesses are like the lampstand, the menorah, and it's sort of like these olive trees are planted on both sides of the menorah, and they have this never-ending capacity to fill these instruments through which God is going to work. They're going to be empowered supernaturally by the uh, Holy Spirit. And so they uh, they will be illuminated, they will be empowered for their work by God's Holy Spirit. So that's the picture. Did I explain that okay? These two witnesses have a special calling, special service, special special ministry. They are the witnesses, God's witnesses. And listen, they are powerful. And obviously, according to what we read here uh, from our text, they are given supernatural uh, powers to defend themselves, according to, notice, verses 5 and 6. Who are these guys? Well, i got to tell you something. We're not quite sure, and it is open to speculation, but I'm going to share with you some, I believe, are plausible uh, explanations of who they might 
uh, be. But let's suppose that one of them is Elijah. Elijah, who we know from the Old Testament, which is a good possibility. I mean, think about it, because Elijah never experienced a physical death. In 2 Kings in chapter 2, in verse 11, we are told that he was taken by a chariot and horses of fire in a whirlwind up into heaven. So Elijah never died. Throw this into the mix. In the book of Malachi, in chapter 4, in verses 5 and 6. Now, this is a good bet that it's Elijah, and this is one of the reasons why, I, at least, it, I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive that one of these witnesses is Elijah. Notice what it says there. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And by the way, during um, Passover, the Jews, you know, when they have their Seder, do you know that at their tables they actually have an empty seat? And who's that seat for? It's for Elijah. And it's just a part of their their ceremony of celebrating the Passover. So even today, the Jews set aside a seat, an open seat. No one can sit at it at the table for Elijah because of what is recorded here for us in this passage of Scripture. Okay, let's go on, verse 6. And he will turn the hearts, so this is what's going to be going on during the, three and a half, the last part of the seven years, and he, if it's Elijah, will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a, a, uh, a curse. So there's another reason why, possibly, plausibly, it could be Elijah. But then also, think about the several miracles that Elijah performed during the Old Testament dispensation. Some of the same miracles that these two witnesses are able to uh, perform. Like, for example, withhold rain from the earth. Uh, didn't Elijah do that? How about calling down fire from heaven? Elijah did that as well. And so are these two witnesses able to do uh, likewise? Okay? All right. The other witness. Okay, let's get into this. Now, this is even more open to speculation. Possibly, and many people believe that it is Enoch. And Pastor Jose and I were talking. We were in here on uh, Friday setting up some stuff and doing some last-minute things. And, uh, and then I drove him home, and we were talking about the two witnesses, and, and uh, we were talking about the identity of them. And, and I think Jose uh, leans more towards Enoch than the one that I'm about to suggest, or the one that I actually lean to, but I'll get to that in a, a moment. But one of the reasons why it may be Enoch is because Enoch, who lived before the flood, we were introduced to him briefly in the book of Genesis, he lived before the, uh, before the flood, and he was translated without seeing death, even as Elijah. In Genesis chapter 5, and verse 24, we are told that Enoch walked with God, and he was not. In other words, God took him, sort of like the rapture, right? Like a rapture of the, the church. Another reason why I think that many people believe that it is uh, Enoch is because Enoch... Uh, like Elijah, was a prophet of judgment. If you just go back one book of the Bible, just quickly, in the book of Jude, concerning Enoch's ministry, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, so, the second coming, to execute judgment on all, seven years of tribulation, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed, 
in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken uh, against. So, Elijah, Enoch, both were prophets of judgment. So it's possibly, plausible, the other witness may be Enoch. But this is the one that I lean more towards as the second. I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost persuaded that it's Elijah. But I think Moses might be a good bet. You know, we, yes, we are told that Moses died. But you know what? We are told that God took the body of Moses. Remember the devil contending over the body of Moses? Remember Michael the archangel? It's, it's uh, recorded for us in the book of Jude. Remember Michael then rebuked the Lord and he had to uh, relent. And uh, so although we are told that Moses died, it wouldn't be any big deal for God to resurrect his body or breathe life back into him, even as he did Lazarus, right? But I'll give you one of the reasons why I believe that it, it might be Moses is because the capacity that Moses had to draw and call out the plagues upon uh, Egypt, one of which was turning the water into blood. And even as the witness, one of these witnesses, or both of them, were able to turn water into uh, blood. So how many of you think it's Enoch? Just lift up your hand. How many of you think it's Moses? Lift up your hand. All right, I don't know, whatever. Again, <laughs> listen, you know what? We're going to find out. How cool is that, right? And, you know, not only are we going to find out, we're going to have the ability when we get to heaven to talk to these guys. Could you imagine that? Talking to Moses? Yeah, Moses. Where's your Moses now, right? And, uh... <laughs> All right, so anyway. But notice here, let's go back to our text now. Verse 7. Notice, they are persecuted and overcome. Let's go back to our text in verse 7. When they finish their testimony, and not a moment before, the beast, the Antichrist, that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, who? The two witnesses, and he will overcome them and he will kill them. Now, what's important here is that these two witnesses, like all true witnesses of Jesus Christ, are immortal or bulletproof until their work is done. Notice what it says once again. They were killed after they had finished their testimony. Now, this is not the only testimony to this fact. I mean, think about Paul. Think about Paul and his ministry. Think about some of the hardships and struggles and difficulties and antagonism that he had to put up with, that he had to deal with. And how many times did God spare him so that he could finish his testimony? And again, let me say this. I think that this is important. Like all true witnesses of Jesus Christ, you are immortal. You are bulletproof until your work is done. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship too. 
Check harvestnyc.org for service times. You can reserve your seat by clicking on contact and then the register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to ask you to join us in praying for all those listening to Pastor Mike's teachings. Please pray for open hearts and open ears to hear and accept truth. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us today. We look forward to our continuing study of Revelation next time, here on In My Father's House. There's a place for